former U.S. Congressman Doug Collins. Viral sensation Brenda Gant. The comedy of Jeremy Nunez. Rock and roll legend Mark Farner. Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilber. And now, here's Mike Welcome, everybody. What a great show we have for you tonight. I'm not kidding. It's one of the shows I've been looking forward to for a long time. You're going to see why as, uh, as you sit and watch. We've got a terrific studio audience. In fact, a big group of people, a big part of our audience tonight is from my home state of Arkansas. They're here. Wow. Well, I don't think I had to tell you that the death of a family member is traumatic and it leaves one feeling a deep sense of grief, abandonment, and sadness. I mean, it's hard to talk about it. In the space of three weeks, my wife and I lost two family members, and I'm just now able to even mention it. The family members were our two dogs, Sonic and Toby. Now, if you're not a dog lover, it may be really hard for you to relate to the depth of grief felt by the death of a canine. But these dogs weren't just pets to us. They really were part of our family. Sonic, our Shih Tzu, was 15 and a half years old and died unexpectedly in his sleep the first week of March. Toby, our Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, was 14, and he was already experiencing some serious health issues. He had never been separated from Sonic since the day that we had got him as a puppy. And with Sonic gone, he was visibly lost and lonely. He died three and a half weeks later. And for the first time since 1983, we don't have a dog as part of the family. Now, our dogs have typically outlived their breed. We had an English setter for 15 years, a wonderful black lab for 15 years, who was with us when Sonic and Tony, uh, Toby came into our house and was there until he died in 2012. I've long said, and I mean this, I wouldn't want to live in a world without dogs. I mean, they make us better people just to be around them. They ask for so little, but they give so much. Their loyalty is only bested by God himself who loves us unconditionally. You know, a dog's unconditional love is probably the closest thing on earth that we're ever going to experience to God loving us without any regards to what he's getting in return. In fact, someone once said that if you want to know just how much your dog loves you, lock your dog and your wife in the trunk of your car, leave them there for a couple of hours, open the trunk and see which one is glad to see you. <laughs> I bet you can guess. My dogs have always made me laugh. It's not that they know how to tell jokes or even do tricks. While my lab was a great hunting dog, quite frankly, Sonic and Toby never did anything really useful. They didn't retrieve the paper. They were horrible as watchdogs, 
that would be more likely to lick a burglar than to bite him. I mean, they never performed a single chore. And they didn't provide so much as a dime to cover their bills for food, toys, treats, and medical expenses. But I never resented one penny I spent on them because I can't even calculate just how much pleasure and joy they brought to my life. They never read or cared about the nasty comments that people posted about me on social media. They never thought I made a bad speech, and they didn't care if I burned a meal or forgot to take out the trash. No matter the time of day or night, they jumped up and ran to me when I came home from a trip, and they acted like they were really glad I was home. When I was governor, the standing joke among my staff was that if there was such a thing as reincarnation, they all hoped to come back as my dog. <laughs> when I've been asked if I think dogs will be in heaven, my answer is always the same. I'm certain dogs are going to make it. It's people I'm not so sure of. <laughs> I even have a t-shirt that says, I love my dogs and maybe three other people. Well, there are actually more than three, but you get the point. I find myself coming home and looking for the dogs to come running, only to be reminded by the silence that they're no longer there. I got to tell you, I miss them immensely. In an ugly world where there's so much division and hate and meanness and anger, and where politics causes so many people to express the most vile and evil utterances, I've always found refuge and a simple joy being with our dogs. None of the dogs I've ever had can be replaced, but I will for sure welcome another dog to the family after some time to heal from the hurt of losing these two. I usually use this portion of the show, I understand, and I talk about the big issues of the day. But tonight, I wanted to talk about something really important. So the lesser important issues of politics and the news of the day, well, It'll just have to wait for another time. <laughs> Doug Collins is a former member of Congress representing Georgia. He is an attorney as well as a pastor and a chaplain in the Air Force Reserve, serving as a lieutenant colonel. Now, I don't think I have to tell you, Georgia's been a flashpoint in recent weeks as Governor Brian Kemp has signed into law a new voting bill intended to strengthen election integrity. But like most things this days, it's been called a racist attack on voting rights by people like Stacey Abrams. Here to bring some sanity from the Peach State, please welcome a dear friend, former Congressman Doug Collins. Doug, it's great having you here. I, I have admired you, watched you in Congress. You would stand up to Jerry Nadler and some of those guys like nobody else uh, did or could. I miss you being in Congress. I hope I'm going to see you on a ballot somewhere else. Well, we'll just have to see about that. But standing up Jerry Nadler is not hard because you only come to right here. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. <laughs> Georgia has been in the crosshairs of yes. a lot of attention because of the voting law. A law that even these corporations like Coca-Cola and Delta didn't have any problem with as it was being passed. But then a little bit of rustling and Stacey Abrams, the oh, yeah. activist in Georgia, started saying that it was a racist bill. 
Give us the skinny on what this bill does and doesn't do. Well, who's, who's telling us the truth? They picked up on an issue, and I want to hit this one right here. Okay. Talk about water. Everybody's heard this. Oh, you can't give water in lines. Yeah. Here's the problem. What was happening was is people, if I and you were running, I was running, we knew we could not go into the line with Collins for anything, Senator, or whatever sure. else. We didn't have these things on there. So we, we just went in and we put those, we couldn't hand anything to line. They were having groups, organized groups, who would have... Uh, you know, issues of who matter, Black Lives Matter, others, or, or this matters. We're giving out uh, things in line. All we're simply saying is that they can put water out there. There'll be water if you, ha if you want it. Um, but what really bothers me was is when they came out with that issue of water, and they were simply saying that this affects minority neighborhoods and everything, did they not think that these, uh, to me it was a, just upsetting to me to think that they would think those neighborhoods wouldn't know to bring water with them. Yeah. It, it goes back to this mindset that they believe, liberals believe that government or others think better for the people. And I know for a fact that it's conservative thought because we actually care about people. This voting law is just a fraud. And Stacey Abrams is the biggest pusher of voter suppression in Georgia, not this bill. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because she almost single-handedly, I think perhaps did, cost Georgia and specifically Atlanta having the all-star game, a hundred million dollar economic <laughs> powerhouse uh, all those people, most of whom were minority, that would have been affected by having the all-star game. Do, do people in Georgia realize that she's running that kind of scam and that she is the one costing them that kind of opportunity? What was really interesting for me is these corporations and others who have now came out against this bill say, well, this part could have. It could do something. And my question is, is, is are these same corporations now going to not introduce a product because it could fail? Are they not going to hire somebody because they could be a bad hire? The only thing that has actually happened that has been detrimental to the state of Georgia, the only thing that has actually affected someone in the state of Georgia is, is President Biden, Stacey Abrams, Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, and all the other Democrats and liberals across the country who pushed the Major League Baseball to take over $100 million out. Those are the ones who've actually, if there's been harm, you know, the old legal principle, who's yeah. been harmed, they're the ones that's been harmed. They're the only ones that's harmed anybody. This bill actually expands voting and allows people to vote where they have actually harmed based on a lie. Doug, Joe Biden, the president, made the comment that this was like Jim Crow on steroids. Now, I, I thought of all the things that I've heard him say, and I've heard him say some weird stuff, that was one of the strangest things I've ever heard, that somehow a bill that actually expanded voting rights was reintroducing Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. But he got away with it. Oh, he gets away with everything. But my problem here is, is when he talks about Jim Crow... For those of us who grew up in the South, who actually went through history lessons, yeah. the Jim Crow era was a stain on our history. Sure. It, was, it was something that we should not go back and say and compare something like this that actually expands voting rights, that gives people more uh, encouragement to get out and vote, and compare it to scare people. I am tired, Mike. I'm tired of liberals scaring people about what things are going on. I'm tired of it. And I think so many of us are growing increasingly unhappy with that. Uh, you know, we saw companies like, I call them Coca-Cola now, and uh, Delta Airlines, very disappointed in both of them, who capitulated to the pressure and came out and said the bill was bad and, and just made very un, uh, inaccurate statements. Right, Let me say it that way, inaccurate statements. Let's go to the positive side. Home Depot, also headquartered and yes. domiciled in Georgia, they were pressured to speak out and uh, de declare that the voting law was bad. They just said, look, uh, our job is to encourage everybody to go vote. We sell hardware and, <laughs> and stuff, and this is not our issue. And I wanted to stand up and applaud. I'm going to buy everything I can from Home Depot. <laughs> exactly. I hope other people will. 
we have to have companies with the guts to push back. Well, we do, and, and I think, you know, and I'm very proud of my son actually works at Home Depot, and it's, uh, he's in it as he went through college. But what is it about this fact that is so hard to understand? There's a lot of things that they could have picked on that could have, you could have spun a different way. It could have been, this is just a bill that it just, they cannot point to anything that actually deters voting, stops voting, or makes voting less uh, safe uh, for somebody to vote or less uh, apt to fraud. Those are the kind of things that, that really you got to look at. And this vote, you know, it's just been amazing. The lie, I'm going to just call it the other way. The lies yeah. has been told about this bill. You were in Congress uh, and fought the good fight. Will we be able to get Congress back in the hands of Republicans and take the gavel from Nancy Pelosi in 2022? Yep. Seriously, are you optimistic that the American people are seeing the power grabs that are going on? We as conservatives have got to stop using bumper sticker answers. We have got to stop giving the easy answer saying, well, it's just the left or it's just the media. We've got to get back and actually engage in this discussion. Joe Biden's presidential uh, agenda is going to give us plenty to work on. Nancy mm. Pelosi gives us plenty to work on. And, and we can explain that. But what we've got to do is actually, number one, get out people to vote. We've got to go tell them why conservative principles matter. It's not simply enough anymore to say, well, I'm a Republican or I'm conservative. People will turn you off. We've got to get back to the old faith traditions of going and witnessing. We yeah. just got to go share and say, it's, look, it's conservatives who actually believe in you. And when you look at somebody and you tell them, this is not a policy, this is about you, how you can help your family and do those kind of, that's how we win votes. Can we do it? Yes. Is it going to require work? Yes. We can't depend on how bad they are. And I've seen it, I've already seen it. I've seen some of the yeah. conservative commentary. Well, the left is just so bad, we're just going to win it in the landslide. No, we're not, yes. unless we actually go do the work. I'm so glad you said that. Congressman, you are spot on when it comes to that. It's going to take a little more. I want to say thanks so much to Doug Collins for being with us. You can follow him, and I hope you will, on Twitter at Rep. Doug Collins. And you can listen to Doug on the radio, if you're in the Atlanta area, on WMLB 1690. Now, Keith Bilbrey is standing over there. He has got the big lineup for tonight's fantastic show. He is going to share it with you right now. Yes, I am. Tonight, viral cooking star Brenda Gant and best-selling author Dr. Everett Piper. It's all coming up on Huckabee. Welcome back. Now, when the pandemic hit, my next guest helped her Facebook friends by just sharing her personal biscuit recipe. One year, one year, in fact, to the week, and many videos later, she's got over 2 million followers, and her first cookbook called Brenda Gant, it's going to be good, y'all. Anyway, after seeing her videos for ourselves, we just had to get her here in studio to do a little cooking with us. But that wasn't as simple as you might expect. I'm as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof today. I'm not an actress. When Brenda Gant started her cooking page on social media, she never dreamed she would become an overnight viral sensation. Fried dumplings. Today, folks from around the world can't wait to watch, getting step-by-step -step instructions to create her delicious southern home-cooked meals. We put that on there, and then close her up. And you just never know what she'll be cooking up next. 
It's gonna be good, y'all. Bye-bye. All right, fresh from Andalusia, Alabama, and her first plane ride ever, would you please welcome America's favorite grandmother, Brenda Gant. Yeah. Brenda, you brought your fan club with you out here. Y'all are wonderful. Thank you for being here. I am so excited, I don't know what to do. This is wonderful. You know, we thought you were kidding when you told us you had never been on an airplane before till no. we flew you here to do the show. Uh, yep, and I, I was great. Now, was the question great. is, are you going to be able to fly home? Yes, yes. <laughs> are you going to have to send for your things in Nashville? I wasn't hey, sure. Well, Nashville sure is nice. I may just stay a while. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to even begin to get my arms around the fact that a year ago, you put out a little video about making biscuits. Now you've got a best-selling book about to hit the market later. You've got um, two million regular followers, and your biscuit cooking has been seen by eight million people. Wow, that's right. From that's all over biscuits. the world. That's amazing. From all over the world. So what are you going to show us tonight? We're going to show them how to make a biscuit. Let's do and it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and uh, so I'll just tell it to the audience, and, and yeah. I hope the whole world hears it. Y'all, this is so easy. So all we're going to do, I've got my famous biscuit cutter right here, and I've got me some self-rising white lily flour. Now, you got to have the self-rising, okay? All right. And uh, you sift your flour, which I already did, and you make a bird nest in the center of the flour, like mm, that. Yeah. Okay. So then you take your grease, and you put about a little bit larger than a chicken egg. Now, everybody knows what a chicken egg looks like, right? <laughs> I love the measurement. I love the measurement. Yeah, it's not like, how many ounces? No, just a chicken egg. Just a chicken egg. You don't Frisco. need to measure, y'all. Your grandmothers did it this way. You put it in there, and you get your container of whole buttermilk. All right. Okay. Yes. Thank you. All right, I'll let you pour that in there. Oh, it's going to trust yeah, me on the butter. All right, I'll tell you. Much, I'll, well, you'll tell well, me. Okay. Just a, maybe a cup or so. Keep going. Keep all right, going. All right. That's good. That'll Do it till it feels good. There you go. A little bit more just, oh, just for good measure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you take your hand. You squish. Y'all know that's a word? Yeah, that's a Sure. <laughs> you squish your buttermilk in with your grease until it um, kind of mixes together. You never go to the bottom of your bowl. You stay on the top. Okay. And you then start pulling in a little flour all the way around. Oh. And I'm pulling it in. And we're going to let these guys cut these biscuits, y'all, in just a minute. But I'm pulling flour in continually. All Look right? And I'm making them up. Now, you think she's done this before? I want her twice. Listen, and you people out there in America, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> yeah. So you learn to make these biscuits, and you're going to have a happy husband, which makes a happy home. There you, there go. you go. Hear that, everybody. Happy biscuits, happy home. There you oh, go. That's right. All right. Uh, Governor, you put your hand in there okay. and, and, and flour my surface. Flour your surface uh -huh. like that? No, this is a surface. Oh, you want this over here. <laughs> there you go. Got it. Okay. Oh, y'all. Uh, sort of, kind of. Governors have a lot to learn, don't they? Uh, oh, but he can cook a steak now. I can. <laughs> That's good. Okay. So this is about right. Can you see the consistency? Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. So then this is how you clean off your hands. You just do this. My hands are clean, by the way. And Yeah, we that, don't know where those hands have been. And right. y'all, I have some little grandgirls yeah. and a grandson, and they all know how to make biscuits. So well, that's it, a good thing. So you put it out here, and you pull it together like uh, that. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
and then you're ready to cut. You don't oh, roll no, it no, out no. or I anything. forgot something important. Oh. You gotta grease your skillet. Oh, okay. Okay, so you grease your skillet mm -hmm. like that. Is that a cast iron? That's cast iron right. skillet. Mm-hmm. And then Has you that cut. Been seasoned? Where's my biscuit cutter? Did y'all steal It's my right biscuit? over there. Yeah, right here. Oh, there it is. Oh, it's behind the bowl. Yep. Y'all, this is 53 years old. When I was first married, I was kind of, George and I were kind of poor, so we cut a pizza can out. <laughs> Made it's, us a biscuit cutter. Hey, so, it's lasted 53 hey, years. So you put it in your flour, good. tap it on your bowl, okay. and cut your biscuit. All right. Here Look you go. That. Perfect. And you put it in your skillet. So now let's see if we could do this thing. Oh, you're doing a fantastic job. There. There was a lady on my Facebook, and if you want to watch me, it's cooking Keith, with Brenda Gant. Can you do that? Oh, yep. on yeah. Facebook. The pressure's on. I'll put it Little in Yeah, where you put okay. it. Uh -huh. And um, he came in the kitchen. She was trying to make good, biscuits. And, and, he, and she said, I can't do this. He said, oh, my goodness, move over. I can do this. <laughs> so he makes them every Saturday now. That's pretty cool. That's right. This is fun. Oh, yeah, you're doing a fantastic job. So that's all it is yeah. to it. And if you have leftover biscuit dough, you can uh, what was roll this, it out. What was in this can originally? Pizza. Oh. Uh, I think, was it salt or was it? I, I think it was the salt, wasn't it? The, uh, the sauce, salt, I mean. Pizza sauce. Yeah, I remember From a pizza. Chef Boyardee box pizza. <laughs> I thought it was sardines. That would give an interesting flavor. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> so anyway, you can take that leftover dough and make fried dumplings or fried mm. pies with it. And it's gonna be wonderful, y'all. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> You've already so, won me over. So anyway, it's just, it's real easy to do and you clean your hands off by rubbing them together. And we've made some good hot biscuits. Would y'all like to try some? Oh. Thought you'd never ask. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All right, so we made these backstage and they're still warm. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, got a little butter here. Got a little yeah. butter. And there's your there's plate. a knife and a plate, some. Keith. There you go. Hope you guys are enjoying those over there. So y'all, those are good. Yeah. Trey, I'm sorry. There's not going to be enough for you. And you know, go ahead. Biscuits aren't just a breakfast food. You know, when you're having fried chicken or some good pork chops. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have this, and and I hope y'all know how to make gravy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, now if they don't, you can teach them, right? And my daughter, she loves tomato gravy. Y'all ever had that? Oh yeah. Uh, what about chocolate gravy? You ever was, had yeah, that? I was telling you earlier, you I, I used to go to gravy? school every morning on chocolate gravy. I, I can't decide. I think the first one I'm going to eat without jelly. And you know, you could make a syrup pole biscuit. That was an old timey mm. way. Mm. It's good, mm. isn't it? No, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I It's a real biscuit. I had chocolate gravy going to school. Now I got diabetes. I don't think it has anything to do and, with it. And, no. you know, and one of my Facebook followers said, Brenda, how do you Southern women stay so little and eat all that biscuits and gravy? And I said, well, we never sit down. There you go. There you go. There you go. What is that thing you say we in Arkansas? There's a lot of things we say in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Oh. This is fantastic. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, man. Mm. So we want all America to learn how to make biscuits. And uh, oh, no. I mean, from the East Coast to the North, everywhere. We want everybody to be able to make a homemade biscuit. Mm. Brenda, I can't tell you how much we love having you. Thank and in you. fact, what I want to do is pro get you to promise that you will come back again and we'll do some more cooking. That sounds wonderful. We'll we love you. And pie. America loves you good. and the world loves Meat you. And Ah, oh, these biscuits are good. Too bad you can't have one, but you can if you learn how to do it like Brenda does. Oh. Keith, while I do some serious biscuit eating, mm. why don't you...
Put your biscuit down and tell the viewers how they can get more of Brenda's great cooking and Southern wisdom. If I have to. Yes, you can pre-order your copy of Brenda Gant. It's going to be good, y'all, right now at brendagantbook.com. You can also check her out on cooking videos on Facebook. Coming up, conservative author Dr. Everett Piper and Grand Funk Railroad frontman Mark Farner. Stay with Huckabee. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow AdGovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Well, there's a lot of fun things about this show, and one of them is having the greatest musical band in America as our special house band, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Let's hear it for him right now. Thank you. My next guest knows the snowflake generation all too well. He's a former university president who says these coddled kids graduating colleges throughout America and the university system that produced them is in crisis. I want you to welcome back to the show columnist and author of a brand new book. You're going to love it. It's called Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. Please welcome Dr. Everett Piper. Great to have you back. Thank you, Governor. It was just a few years ago, you did an essay and it just went viral. And it was all about, uh, you're not in a daycare, you're at college. Right. <laughs> and people just stood and applauded because you were saying something that no other university president I know had the courage to say. And that is, if you go to a college, grow up and act like you're supposed to be challenged. Uh, I essentially said, this is a university, it's not a daycare. If you expect to be coddled um, rather than confronted, if you expect me to make you feel comfortable in your uh, childishness and your immaturity rather than have me challenge you, then go someplace else. This is a university, it's not a daycare. And, <laughs> and people cared. Uh, actually, that kind of went viral. And you had me on your show to discuss that in yeah. a book that I wrote that was a summary of that whole story. And it was titled, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. And this book is a sequel to that. It follows up on that story. There, there is a problem in this country with people who are afraid to hear something they don't agree with. When, when you tell people to grow up, you're not just talking to children at that point, are you? Not at all. This is not a generational joust, per se. I'm talking to 21-year-olds and 51-year-olds mm. and everybody in between. I'm essentially saying this, look, I told you so. In 2017, I warned you. I said, what's being taught in the classroom will be practiced in our culture. And the self-absorption and narcissism that we're teaching in Berkeley and Brown, these kids are gonna graduate and they're gonna get jobs as fact checkers at Google and Amazon mm. and Major League Baseball. And they're gonna take their cancel culture out of the college and they're gonna take it into the corporations. They're gonna take it into your community. They're gonna take it into your church. And every time you say something that they don't like, you compromise their safe space they're gonna to try to cancel you and silence you. So the point of this book is to offer 20 lessons on the importance of acting like an adult in a world that looks more like a daycare on a daily basis. What do we do with academia? Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine a parent spending tens of thousands of dollars to send their little darling off to school and they come back a Marxist. I mean, that's happening all over this country. How do we fix that? Garbage in, garbage out. That's something mm. our grandmas told mm. us. 
Uh, Richard Weaver wrote a seminal work in 1948. He titled it, Ideas Have Consequences. You don't need to read the book to get his point. Ideas have consequences. <laughs> bad ideas produce bad culture. So if the disease is caused by ideological carcinogens, and we've got cancer of heart, mind, and soul because of the bad ideas we've been imbibing in the university system, then maybe the solution is to go back to the point of acquiring that disease and stop eating the bad stuff, consuming the bad ideas, and start consuming good ideas. Goodness in, good out, goodness out. So refreshing to hear somebody say that. If, if a person has college age, soon to be children, what advice do you give them? Skip the big uh, Ivy League schools and go to a Christian school? And even then, is that a safe choice to make? No, you've got to be very, very diligent in the way you review your university options today. Going to college shouldn't be about making you feel good. Going to college should be about learning, learning about the Constitution, that it's good, learning that disagreement is good, debate is good, a little cognitive dissonance is good, <laughs> the Constitution is good, our Bill of Rights is good. Learning that there are ideas that are good and that there are ideas that are bad. Don't talk about intersectionality and critical race theory and don't teach students to be whining about their feelings being hurt all the time. Maybe challenging them with some truth. I, I love hearing that. We hear so much today about critical race theory. For the uninitiated, what's the simple explanation of what that means? It's your fault, it's not mine, hmm. it's blame. It's selfishness, it's self-absorption. You offended me. I want my pound of flesh. It's a childish way of thinking. It's not the way a mature adult functions. You have uh, a subtitle here, the title of the book, Grow Up, but life isn't safe, but it's good. What's good about life that people are missing? Well, C.S. Lewis tells us in the Chronicles of Narnia that the great lion Aslan is not safe, but he's good. Hmm. Christ is not safe, but he's good. Let's paraphrase that even further. The great line of the ivory tower isn't safe, but it's good. The great line of education isn't safe, but it's good. The great line of the Constitution, the great line of human freedom, of liberty, is not safe, but it's good. Life isn't supposed to be about feeling safe. It's about goodness. There's a huge difference between safety and goodness, and I'd much prefer the second, goodness, rather than being safe. Is there hope in Everett Piper's heart that this country is going to see a turnaround? I trust the words of Christ. He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. There may be a bump or two in the road between here and there, but I believe Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. I believe that his promises can be... Mm. Refreshing to hear, and I so appreciate that you recognize the ultimate answer is a spiritual one, not a political one. It is a fantastic book. Uh, get it for yourself. Get it for somebody that you think might need to be challenged intellectually about uh, some of the nonsense of the day. Dr. Everett Piper's book, and uh, we're so glad to have him back with us. Now, for our audience... You can buy his new book called Grow Up Right Now, and you can keep up with him in real time on social media, as I do. I follow his Twitter account. You'll want to as well. And you can also check out his website. Our very own quite grown-up announcer, Keith Bilbrey, is now going to tell you why you ought to stick around for the rest of the show. Well, next, small-town mayor and stand-up comedian Jeremy Nunez. Then, legendary rock and roll musician Mark Farner. More Huckabee is on the way.
Welcome back. Our next guest has been featured on Last Comic Standing, his own Amazon Prime and Dry Bar Comedy Specials, ESPN Radio, his podcast called Dynamite Drop-In, and a whole lot more. And in the midst of that, he still had time to serve as a small-town mayor and even write a book about it. Would you welcome the busiest man in showbiz, the very funny Jeremy Nunez. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, yeah, I just wrapped up my time as mayor, and uh, I guess I did an all right job. Um, I actually won an award for being one of Illinois' most ethical mayors. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. I like, I like some of you aren't impressed. You're like, yeah, it's probably not that hard in Illinois. Uh, <laughs> but it was largely because I issued a fine to my parents. <laughs> and I remember my dad calling me when he found out. He's like, Jeremy, why did I get this fine in the mail? He's like, well, your grass is too high. You have to mow your grass. He goes, Jeremy, you mow our grass. I said, well, you should have called me sooner. Because now you owe the town $300 and me 50 for mowing your grass. But the thing is, I never wanted to be mayor. I ran for office as a joke. I got my name on the ballot as comedian Jeremy Nunes, and my campaign slogan was, put a real joker in office. Because I thought, who would vote for that person? 80% of the town. <laughs> And uh, what a weird job. I had to uh, review people's resumes that wanted to work for the town. I mean, one guy, his email address on his resume was bankrobber247 at AOL. <laughs> I was like, how creepy is that? Obviously, I cannot hire someone who still uses AOL. Another guy, I was interviewing him to be the city manager. And I said, can you tell me the difference between a regulation and a statute? And he goes, sure, a regulation is a rule or a code you have to follow. A statute is a sculpture, like the Statute of Liberty. <laughs> I hired that guy. <laughs> and there's always one knucklehead on the city council. We had one guy, he won $100 on a lotto scratch-off ticket, quit his job. I put him in charge of the budget. <laughs> and sometimes you've got your ad agenda, you think something's gonna go right through, it takes all night. Other times you think it's gonna take all night, goes right through. So I pitched to the board, uh, I asked for the approval of six new picnic tables for the park. No problem, goes right through. Then I just kinda toss out there, anybody care what color we get? Two hours! <laughs> you know what color we decided on? Wood. <laughs> and it was, uh, <laughs> I, I just finished up, like I said, after years and years, my wife told me if I ran yet again, she was gonna make me single yet again. <laughs> so I did not run, you know, uh, and she said single yet again because back when we were dating, she actually broke up with me. Of course, we since worked it out, but I still don't quite understand this. She was mad because I wouldn't break the law for her. She's four foot eight, so I made her ride in a car seat. <laughs> hey, that's it for me. I'm Jeremy Nunes. Thanks a lot, everybody. God bless.
You know, I think I got a lot more out of that than most people, because having been in government, I totally get what you were talking about. And, and a lot of that, it's too, it's too true to be that funny. I know. <laughs> people don't believe it. And by the way, I appreciate you shaking hands. Too many people are afraid to shake hands anymore. <laughs> but, uh, Can I have some of that? Uh, just in, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, sir. Yeah. I don't know where you've been, Jeremy. Yeah. I really don't. <laughs> thank you. So let's talk about a year of lockdown. What has that been like for you? Well, you know, it was, it was tough for us. Like, uh, like you had mentioned, I, I wrote the book, so I had time to, you know, I finally had time to write the book, which I intended to. I was like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. I spend time with my family? You know, no. <laughs> we don't want to make a habit of that. Uh, That's what politicians always say. They say, I'm going to resign office because I want to go spend time with my family. Like, you didn't know you had one? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, the, the lockdown lasted forever. So, like, uh, in Illinois, they even told us we had to social distance from our own family. Like, you know, in your own house. You got to keep distance. You can't have people over for Christmas. You know, I mean, I was like, we're going to have people over. I'm not social distancing. Though I did stay six feet away from the bathroom when my Uncle Carl was in there. <laughs> <laughs> that probably was smart. Now, when your kids finally got back in school, was that traumatic for them to have to say, we're leaving, we're going to go back to school? Or were you so excited you didn't care? <laughs> <laughs> I was the first one to take them to the bus. I was like, uh, but, you know, it took forever to even get approval to get the kids into school. You know, I mean... I felt like only Samuel L. Jackson could accurately describe how bad we need to get the kids out of the house. But, uh, you know, the, the, the liberal elites, they don't care. They wanted their kids in the house and locked down as long as possible. Their kids have every toy imaginable for month after month after month to stay busy. You know, my kid has three toys, a paddle, a string, and a ball. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden has made some fascinating, uh, interesting, and sometimes rather troubling decisions. What is your assessment of his decision-making? I wonder if he's the one making the decisions. You know, it's... Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's... Uh, it makes you wonder, you know, uh, and I hate, I hate to poke fun at the guy, but my biggest fear is he's going to hit the red button thinking he's ordering office supplies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think one of his campaign promises was uh, he's going to promote Colin Powell to Dollar General. We <laughs> 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 got some Biden supporters in the audience with <laughs> They're turning on us. They're no, turning on us. <laughs> so before I let you go, What's more fun, doing stand-up comedy or being a mayor of a town? I mean, is, is there anything close? There's nothing more fun than being the mayor of a town. <laughs> I guess what I <laughs> well, it's great having you here, Jeremy. Thank you so much for sharing your comedy. And good luck as mayor. You know, heck, you may decide to run for governor someday. It's a pretty good gig. You ought to give it a shot. Yeah, and in Illinois, if I stay out of jail, I'm doing pretty good. You so. would be doing something that most <laughs> governors of Illinois haven't done in a long time. Well, Jeremy has a lot more great comedy that you can enjoy online, and you can pre-order this hilarious mayoral memoir called You Can't Write City Hall. You can get it everywhere books are sold. Now, Keith couldn't write this show, but he sure can tell you what's on it. So go away, Keith, and tell us what's on. Well, next, Mike talks with rock and roll musician and a founding member of Grand Funk Railroad, Mark Farter. You're watching Hackabee.
Watch Huckabee next week with award-winning singer Michael W. Smith. Coming back with a little music from Queen, a crazy little thing called Love. You see, I know those tunes. I really do. Speaking of tunes, Mark Farner is a world-renowned guitarist and founding member of the legendary rock band Grand Funk Railroad. In the 1970s, as the band's songwriter, vocalist, and guitarist, he helped them sell over 30 million records with hit songs like We're an American Band, The Locomotion, Some Kind of Wonderful, and many, many more. Grand Funk was one of my favorite bands back when I had hair to my shoulder. I really did. And if I could grow it like that, I'd still have it today, I tell you now. <laughs> anyway, after 50 plus years, Mark is still on a global crusade for love, freedom, and rock and roll. Would you help me welcome Mark Farner? So good to have you back, Mark. Welcome. It is so good to be sucking air in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of people in America, that's about all they've done for the past year. It's been I a tough, that. tough time. <laughs> but you have been, uh, I, I mean, one of the things that I want to mention, your project from Chile with Love, you did a huge concert at a time when people just don't get to do concerts, huh? Yeah, uh, that was, you know, kind of a last-minute thing. We had booked a tour down into, uh, from Peru to Brazil yeah. up to Chile, and the promoter in Chile, uh, Carlos Bastin, said, my friend is uh, from Abismo Films. He wants to shoot, got eight cameras, and uh, he said the magic words. He said, we're going to make you such a deal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> going to make you an offer you couldn't refuse, <laughs> That's huh? That's right. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't refuse it because it's a, a phenomenal 16 live performances, a bunch of bonus tracks on here. Yeah. You know, I'm amazed. 50 years, you're still rocking and rolling and having fun. Yes, I am. I mean, that's, that's a great you. legacy. Did you think you would be doing this 50 years later when you guys first started with Grand Funk? There was no such thing as classic rock radio, brother. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know. Yeah. How was it? I mean, we just thought we're just going to rock until one day, you know, uh, we wake up and, hey, where are we? <laughs> you know, I, I read, because I was a big fan. I mean, I really was. That's not just talk. You guys I sold out that, Shea bro. Stadium in less than 72 hours. The Beatles didn't even do that. That's right. I mean, that was a heyday of, of rock and roll. And you were innovators in a way that most bands just weren't doing. And that was before there was any online ticket sales, brother. Yeah. There were people sleeping out on the lawn of Shea Stadium. We got pictures of, you know, the tents and the people. All 55,000 seats had to be bought at that ticket office. Hmm. It happened in 71 hours. That's incredible. Yeah. Now, there's something a lot of people may not know about you. You are one of the nation's most ardent supporters of our veterans. Well, thank you. And, and I, I don't think a lot of people know Mark Farner loves our veterans. Maybe because your dad was one in World War II. Yeah, tank driver in the 7th Armored Division. 
And he came home with four bronze stars, lived through four major battles, and my mother was the first woman in the United States to weld on Sherman tanks at Fisher Body in Flint, Michigan. How about that? Yeah. I mean, that's a legacy. Yeah. You know, because of that, you've had some incredible moments, one of which was playing a concert at the Vietnam Memorial Wall. Yes. The veterans themselves told you that your song, I'm Your Captain, Closer to Home, was like their theme song. Yep. And they embraced it as something that, that spoke to them deeply. That's right. And when Keith King uh, from the Vietnam Veterans of America asked me to come and just bring an acoustic guitar and sing my song, I said, just my song? Yeah, he says, that we, we voted and your, your song is number one. I said, well, are you going to have a stage and lights and PA? Oh, yeah, we're going to have that. I said, well, what we'll do is we'll put the band in a bus and we will be here and do you an entire show for the, all the Vietnam veterans and we'll put Closer to Home on the end. It was 36 degrees that day. We was warming our hands up on the light bulbs around the dressing room mirror, <laughs> you know, in this trailer. Uh, but when it came down to it and we played the song, not only our brothers and sisters from America, but our brothers and sisters from Canada were there, our Canadian Vietnam veterans, and the eyes were just running. The, the tears came rolling, and uh, it was hard to sing the song. You know, it's like trying to sing with a softball stuck in your throat. I can't even begin to imagine. One of the things I think is pretty important, some of the proceeds from the sale of this DVD goes to the uh, Veterans Support Foundation. So people not only get some phenomenal music from Mark Farner, but they actually can help veterans at the same time they're doing that. That's right. My wife, Lisa, and I said, uh, we're going to take uh, $3 from each one of these that sell for $14.99. $14.99, such a deal. 16 yeah. tracks, two, two bonus videos, and five bonus songs that had never been released before. It's a great deal. So $3 for our veterans. And they said, well, we'll just do that on, on the uh, pre-sales. And I said, no, we won't. We're going to do it on every daggone one that sells. Uh, our troops are worth it. God bless you. You're a great American, a phenomenal songwriter, guitar player, and just a great guy. And we're so thrilled to have you here, Mark. And thank, thank you, brother. Thank you for coming. I think we probably ought to do some music, but I got to tell the folks to get your copy of Mark Farner's American Band from Chile with Love. It's a live concert DVD as well as part of all of his great music. Go to his website. Real simple, markfarner.com. Now, after the break... Mark is going to perform and blow the roof off this place. You better not go away. After the show, go to Huckabee.tv to watch an online exclusive performance by Mark Farner singing the 1975 summer hit, Bad Time. And now... Here to perform with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection with Mike sitting in on bass is Mark Farner.